evening and welcome to Tuesday night chapel. Uh, could we just stand and share our theme tonight together? Here am I, Lord, send me. And can we pray that tonight? Amen. I pray that those words have become very significant, especially meaningful to you over these past few weeks. You may be seated. Um, tonight is actually a very special night, and I um, would like to just share a couple of things with you regarding the fact that this is the 37th annual DeLong Sermon Series Chapel Service, so welcome. And I'd like to share just a little bit of information about that. Uh, the DeLong Sermon Series is made possible through the support of Nazarene Bible College and the generosity of the Dr. Russell V. DeLong family in honor of his father, Thomas Walter DeLong. Thomas Walter DeLong was ordained in 1910 by Dr. Brzee. The late Dr. Russell V. DeLong is remembered throughout the Nazarene world as a college president, radio preacher, evangelist, and author of many books. Students in this series are nominated by their Christian Preaching to professors and invited to participate by submitting a sermon manuscript. All these manuscripts are anonymously evaluated by a committee of the faculty, and from those sermons are chosen to be preached in chapel. Mrs. Janine King is one of the two student preachers to be selected for the 2010-2011 DeLong Sermon Series. Could you just applaud her? Before I have her come up, I want to share a little bit of information about her. You probably know a lot of this, but um, her spouse is Dr. Tom King. They have three children, three girls, Carice, Crystal, and Kayla. And Tom and Janine have lived in Colorado Springs since 1996. I want to share just a brief statement that she wrote about her call. I felt called to Christian ministry when I was 14 years old and attended a Christian summer camp. I surrendered my whole being to the Lord and experienced the joy of God's love, replacing the fears in my soul. Jesus Christ became my best friend, and I wanted to spend my life sharing Christ with others. And for her ministry plans, she says, to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, anywhere with Jesus I will gladly go. And another comment I thought you would find very interesting that you might not know about her. When I first started taking classes at NBC, I thought I already knew a lot about the Bible and about Christianity. Through the last four years of classes, I have come to recognize how little I know. I've come to appreciate the views of other believers and to value the diversity in the body of Christ. My heart's desire is to be known to have the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Janine, would you come forward, please? I want to read this as I present this to her. It says, Certificate is hereby awarded to Janine M. King in recognition of her participation as a preacher in the DeLong Sermon Series on this third day of May, 2011, at Nazarene Bible College, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Congratulations!
Thank you. I'd like to say thank you to each of you. It is such an honor to go to school with all of you. Um, every student here that I've been in class with, you have touched my life so much with your testimonies, with your love for God, with your sacrifice to come here and take classes and follow God's call. I feel humbled and honored to stand beside you. And in our Christian preaching class, those of you who shared God's messages, I mean, all of you ministered to me when you preached. And I am so excited to see what God's going to do in your lives through your preaching. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are already in this place. As I prayed for each person here this afternoon and thought of their faces, your tears of love welled up in my eyes and I couldn't stop crying because your love for each person here filled my heart. And Lord, I am so honored to be able to share your love with my friends here tonight. Lord, I pray that tonight your spirit will anoint each of us, anoint your message in our hearts, and draw us into deeper surrender to following you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered what Jesus preached about when he went into the temples? It must have been exceptional preaching because the Bible tells us that the people praised him and said, you speak with authority, not like our teachers. Their teachers were the scribes and Pharisees. They seemed to specialize in arguing about their different points of view on the scripture. It must have been very refreshing for the Jewish people to hear someone speaking with confidence and authority about the scriptures. Now what scriptures did Jesus teach from? The New Testament wasn't written yet. So he preached from the Hebrew scriptures, which we know as the Old Testament. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a recording of Jesus' actual preaching? I mean, we have snippets in the Bible, but I'm sure there was much more. When I was about 12 years old, I read a Christian fiction novel that talked about this scientist who had developed a technique for extracting sound waves from rocks. And he could take a rock and put his tool on it, and he could set it for any time in the centuries in the past, and it would send out the sound waves, and it would be translated into the audible speaking sounds that that rock heard. What if we had that technology today and this rock was a rock that was in the temple when Jesus was preaching? 
That would be fabulous. But that technology hasn't been invented yet, to my knowledge. So you're just going to have to imagine with me. Travel back in your mind to the time of Christ. Imagine you are sitting on the floor in the temple and Jesus comes in. He takes a scroll from the basket of scrolls. He opens it. And I've discovered rocks are good for holding scrolls open. <laughs> Perhaps Jesus would have said something like this. Shabbat Shalom. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Brothers and sisters, today let us seek God's truth from one of our favorite psalms. This is a psalm we call the Psalm of Protection. Many of us recite it each evening before bed. We recite it on every Sabbath day. Yes, it is Psalm 91. Have you ever wondered who wrote this psalm? Our teachers love to argue about who they think wrote it. Some claim that David is the author. Some insist that Moses is the author. I say unto you, it is good to learn about the life of the author. This helps us understand the author's message about God and God's message to us contained in the psalm. Hear now the words of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him.
I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Children of Israel, the author of this psalm made confident statements about God's protection and provision. Truly, our God does protect us and provide for us. Yet, does this mean we always recognize God's protection and provision? Was the author of this psalm able to make such confident statements because they had only experienced a safe and secure life filled with health and material blessings from God? Consider that the author of Psalm 91 was either King David or Moses. We must remember that both of these men of God did experience times of pain, times of fear, times of disaster. Think of David being anointed by Samuel to be the next king. He was in the court of the current king, serving. Yet, King Saul turned against him, hurled a spear to him, tried to kill him. David had to flee from Saul. He became a fugitive. For seven years, he ran from Saul's anger, even having to let spittle run down his beard and act like a madman so that he wouldn't be killed in the foreign cities he was staying in. Think of Moses, who after killing an Egyptian to save an Israelite, was mocked the next day by Israelites who saw him do it. And then Pharaoh heard about it and sought to kill Moses. So Moses became a fugitive. He ran to the wilderness and was there for 40 years, feeling like a failure, feeling unfit to rescue his people from cruel slavery. Yet, both of these men of God also experienced incredible times of victory in their walk with God. Think of David killing a bear and a lion with his bare hands. Think of him killing Goliath with a simple slingshot. Think of the many victories he had in war and his 40-year successful reign as king of Israel. Think of Moses when God brought him back to Egypt to lead Israel out through the 10 plagues, through the Red Sea, God's power through Moses displayed God's awesome strength. I tell you the truth. This psalm was written by a person who experienced both times of victory and times of disaster during their walk with God. This psalm was written by a person who had learned to surrender to God's will in every situation and to trust that God was still protecting them and providing them in those dark times. Today, I proclaim to you that the secret of learning to trust God, no matter what is happening to you, 
to recognize his protection and provision in all situations is found in verse 1 of this psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Where are you dwelling? I am not asking where do you live. I am not asking about your physical location. I am asking about you. Where are you dwelling? Are you dwelling in fear of the enemy? Or are you dwelling in faith in God to save you? Are you dwelling in anger and bitterness from the pain in your life? Or are you dwelling in trust that God will bring good from the pain? Are you dwelling in frustration because God has asked you to wait for his fulfillment of his promises to you and to bring you his salvation? Or are you dwelling in faith that God will bring you salvation in his time, in his way? I say to you, today, the truth of this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Behold God's salvation. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. If you dwell in me, you will come to know God as your true provider. If you dwell in me, you will find rest for your souls. If you dwell in me and I in you, together we will bear much fruit. The fruit of love in place of fear. The fruit of forgiveness in place of bitterness. The fruit of a humble, patient heart in place of a prideful, self-centered spirit. Thank you for joining with me in my imagination of Christ preaching. My hope is that this brought you to a place of sensing his spirit, his passion, his love for the children of Israel and his love for you today. How did the people respond to Jesus? Some believed and became his disciples. Others doubted and later joined the angry crowds yelling crucify him. How do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to this psalm of protection? Do we read this psalm through a lens of trust and gratitude to God, with confidence saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. Blessed be his name. Today, I can respond with trust and gratitude. But for many years, 
I read this psalm through a lens of selfishness, and I didn't even know it. It was not an inspirational psalm for me. It was a psalm of bitter disappointment because God didn't work the way I thought this psalm promised. Have you ever felt that way? For example, verses 9 and 10 say, If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. When we read those words, perhaps we remember a time when we thought we were making the Most High our dwelling, doing His will, sacrificing our wants and desires to follow His call, and then harm and disaster befell us. I remember several NBC students who made it through the difficult years of schooling to earn their degree, to graduate, become ordained, and take their first church. Then, one of them experienced his home destroyed by fire. Another experienced his wife of many years leave him for another man. And another experienced his child struck with chronic debilitating illness. That sounds like harm and disaster to me. When I held the child in my arms of the pastor and graduate of NBC, who was now four years old and had suffered for two years with this debilitating illness, and I prayed and I believed in faith that God would heal this child and I was ready for him to jump up and start walking and leaping and praising God. And he couldn't move. He couldn't. I was angry at God on their behalf. I was confused. How can we make sense of this psalm of protection when it seems that God isn't protecting us, when it seems that God isn't providing for our needs? when we are doing all we can to dwell in Him in the shelter of the Most High and God doesn't come through the way we think He should. I suggest that one reason we might not be able to make sense of this psalm could be because we are looking at it through a lens of selfishness. God had to show me this. We want God to give us only physical comfort and rest. Only peace and joy. Only material blessings and protection. All the time. <laughs> or perhaps we are viewing this psalm through a lens of pride. I was shocked when God revealed this to me. Deep down we actually reveal, we actually feel that our idea of provision and protection is better than what God is allowing in our life. We want God to protect us, but we want Him to protect us according to our plan. I suggest that if this psalm is confusing to us, then we really don't quite know what it means to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. This was true for me. There was a time in my life when I was trapped in selfishness and pride. I didn't even know it because of my suffering, because of the suffering of others. I couldn't believe the psalm was true. 
In my confusion, I finally cried out to God, please help me understand what it means to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. I must not be doing it right. I mean, how do I dwell in the shelter of God? Isn't his shelter heaven? Isn't that where he lives? I can't go up there and dwell in you. I mean, how do I rest in the shadow of the Almighty? I can't even see the Almighty to find his shadow to rest in it. As you may suspect, God didn't answer me right away. So I went about my day just waiting and hoping that he would answer. And later that morning when I was washing the dishes, I was listening to the radio and former President George W. Bush was being interviewed about his new book, Decision Points. He said that in his early years, Christianity had been about following rules. And he would try to follow the rules, but he wanted to have fun too. And he became addicted to alcohol. And he struggled with that alcohol addiction. He kept praying and asking God to take it away, but it just never went away. He went to meetings. He couldn't get rid of his alcohol addiction. And when his father, George Bush Sr., was president and in the White House, Billy Graham came to visit. And he went for a walk on the lawn of the White House with Billy Graham. And they had a heart-to-heart -heart talk. And Billy Graham said to him, Christianity isn't about rules. Christianity is about full surrender. That is when George Bush made his commitment to fully surrender to God. And from that day to this day, he has had no alcohol. He has been completely delivered. When he fully surrendered, God fully delivered him and set him free. When I heard former President Bush say the words, full surrender, the Holy Spirit broke into my thoughts and spoke to me and answered my question from earlier that morning. And the Spirit said, to dwell in the shelter of the Most High is to live in total surrender to God then you can rest in confident trust that God loves you even though he may keep you in the shadows of his plan for your life. Even though he doesn't always tell you why he allows bad things to happen. To dwell in the shelter of the Most High is to say as Christ said when facing the cross, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. This insight was a new thought for me. I had never thought that the meaning of dwell could be described as surrender. Yet the Hebrew root of the word we translate as dwell in this psalm means to live, to inhabit, to stay. Isn't that what happens when we fully surrender to God? We live in Christ as we take up our cross daily and fully surrender. We and the Holy Spirit inhabit one another when we fully surrender 
to his words and obey. We stay in the Father when we fully surrender to his will. Jesus' life demonstrated this link between the words dwell and surrender. Jesus was able to dwell in the shelter of the Most High because he lived a life of full surrender. He was confident that God's will was best for his life. Jesus did experience pain and suffering, but God was with him. God delivered him. God was his refuge and strength. As a result of his full surrender to God, Jesus received the promise of God for those who dwell in him. He was able to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Jesus fully trusted in God's love and believed God's promises even during his darkest times here on earth. Today, Jesus is asking us, where are you dwelling? Maybe like George Bush, you're dwelling with an addiction. Maybe you are dwelling in fear. Fear of the evil in this world. Fear of unemployment. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the future. Will you dwell in him? Will you surrender your desire to be in control of your life? Your desire to know how everything is going to work out? Maybe you're dwelling in pain. Pain from disease or pain from a difficult emotional situation. Will you dwell in him? Will you surrender your desire to tell God how and when to heal you? how and when to help you? Will you trust that his timing is best? Psalm 91 tells us that God wants to rescue us, to protect us, to answer us, to be with us in trouble, to deliver us and honor us, to satisfy us with long life and show us his salvation. However, you must surrender all to enter into this rest. In a moment, we will watch a music video of Lincoln Brewster's song, Surrender. Here is your challenge. Take this moment to evaluate your life. Have you surrendered every part of your life to God? Is there an area where you are still trying to keep control of? to manage on your own. Allow God's Holy Spirit entrance into your fears, into your pain, into the earthly treasures that you want to keep. Let Him show you what area you need to surrender today. Our relationship with Jesus has to be a partnership. He won't force you to surrender. Just this weekend, I was reading from the book that was assigned for our holiness class. And it's just so amazing to me how God always makes everything correspond in our life. He is the most incredible orchestrator 
of our thoughts and events. As I read this, I discovered the holiness theologians have been writing about the need for the Nazarene Church to expand our doctrine of entire sanctification to include, perhaps, multiple times of surrender or crises, experiences with the Holy Spirit. Mildred Weinkoop, Rob Staples, H. Ray Dunning, and others seem to be saying that it's important for us to recognize that our surrender to God can happen in a variety of ways. It can be a one-time surrender, resulting in a sanctified, loving relationship with God and others for the rest of our life. It can require a second time of surrender, a second work of grace, to get us to that place of truly dwelling in God and surrendering all. Or it can re require multiple times of surrender, as it has for me. I was a stubborn, prideful person, and it took multiple times. Why? Because the extent of the Holy Spirit's work to transform us into Christ-likeness is contingent upon our understanding of what areas we need to surrender. Sometimes we're blind to it. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, I will come in and I will sup with you. I will dwell with you. Those words were said to believers, not to unbelievers. Jesus gave his all for us. If the Holy Spirit convicts you of an area during this next six minutes while we watch this music video, I encourage you to surrender all in order that you may gain Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, it is truly the greatest joy of our hearts to dwell in you in full surrender. That is the only way we experience your promised rest for our souls. Teach us to surrender all to you, Holy Spirit. Show us when, when we run into times where we're not at rest, what it is we're not surrendering. Help us to be able to say as Christ said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed as you rest in the shadow of the Almighty.